Welcome to the September 1st, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Patricia Calhoun, filling in for Dominic DiZutti, who's taking a well-deserved vacation. Thanks for joining us. Let's get a quick take on House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi coming to Denver while Trump was in Houston. She was here to talk to Emerge Colorado, and while she was here, she spoke with the media about President Trump's response to Hurricane Harvey, Governor Hickenlooper's plans for health care, and the Charlottesville rally. Noelle Phillips from the Denver Post. I know she stopped by the Denver Post. What do you think about her visit? Well, um, I was out of the office working on other stories, and I'm not a political reporter, so I wouldn't have been invited to the table anyway. But I thought maybe this was starting to, a sign that the Democrats are starting to make the rounds, set the stage for midterms. Um, I read our stories about what she talked about and didn't really find any surprises for me from the message. But, you know, she's out there and definitely making rounds. And, Noelle, you're always invited to this table. Thank Michael you. Michael Fields, American for Prosperity Colorado. What did you think about Pelosi's visit? Well, I think when Nancy Pelosi comes in town, it's one of those rare times when both Democrats and Republicans are happy. Um, I think part of the reason she was here was to promote uh, the Democrats a better deal plan. Uh, I listened to her pitch about it. It wasn't all that inspiring. I think the Democratic Party needs a makeover, and I don't think having Pelosi as the face, Dick Durbin as the face, Bernie Sanders as the face uh, is necessarily going to do it. So I think they need a new generation, people like Cory Booker, people like uh, the, the Castro brothers from Texas, or maybe even big city mayors like Mayor Hancock. Uh, but I think for 2018, just running on anti-Trump uh, isn't going to cut it. Joy Bunch, now marking one year with ColoradoPals.com. Obviously, your paper was up, your media outlet was all over this. What did you think of the visit? Well, it told me everything I needed to know about what's wrong with the Democratic Party. And Michael is absolutely right. It's time for new faces. You know, that's what Bernie Sanders was about. That's what Donald Trump was about. And in honor of college football season, Bear Bryant used to say that if you want to win championships, you've got to put champions on the field. And it's time for the Democrats to find a new champion. You know, Nancy Pelosi, she didn't bring any fresh ideas. All we heard was stale talking points. And I I think America's tired of that. And speaking of fresh, Ben Gelt, political consultant, what do you think? Who are the fresh faces coming up? Well, I think the Dems need to probably reach further into their bench than they may even have. Uh, certainly, Pelosi is very tired. I think the country has signaled very strongly that it's really less about them or are and more about are we going to have new productive ideas that uh, can bring people together. So I, don't, I personally don't think that there's much of one out there. Well, we had another visitor this week. Former Mexican President Vicente Fox visited Colorado, and Mayor Michael Hancock signed the Denver Public Safety Enforcement Priorities Act into law. Fox praised Hancock and the Denver City Council's unanimous decision to protect immigrants from federal ICE enforcement policies. Noel, your paper has been covering this and covering this. What should we be watching for in the days to come? Uh, well, we... <laughs> The standoff between Denver and federal immigration authorities is not over. The very next day, ICE agents went back to the Lindsay Flanagan Courthouse and were making arrests. The uh, Colorado Rapid Response Network is a coalition of um, 
lot of groups that represent immigrant interests, and they have like a hotline. So if you think that you're cornered in the courthouse, you can call, and lawyers and people with video cameras show up. So a woman called, and everybody showed up, and the, this woman who had gone to the courthouse to make an appearance for a criminal case um, managed to escape the ICE agents this time. And I, I talked to uh, Carla Castedo with uh, Mi Familia Vota, and I asked, well, how did she manage to get out? And they said, well, she just bided her time and kind of waited it out. But I'm not exactly sure how that went down, but she did manage to make her court appearance and then get away. And that's been a sticking point for the mayor, city council, law enforcement, that ICE agents showing up in the courthouse are interrupting the criminal justice system, and we need people to participate in this system. Um, also, uh, more activity yesterday. Uh, Denver signed an amicus brief with Chicago, who's suing the Justice Department and Jeff Sessions over an order of following certain immigration-related requirements to receive money through a grant. And um, I think 36 cities signed on with Chicago yesterday, asking a judge to bar those orders from Sessions. This grant's the Edward Byrne Memorial Justice Assistance Grant, and Denver's Gotten about a half million dollars for that. Previously bought the shot spotter system, which they have placed around the city to d detect gunshots rapidly and get officers to the scene very quickly, even if no one calls 911. So we'll continue to watch this battle play out between Denver and the White House. Michael, do you think Denver's asking for trouble with the moves it made this week? Uh, I think they could be. Um, I'm trying to understand fully, you know, why they decided to do what they did, uh, given that the city was already following this policy before this ordinance. Um, so I think more than anything, it's a political statement that's being made here. Uh, I think it could backfire on them. Uh, you could have cuts to federal funding. You could have uh, increased immigration raids. You could have more ICE agents in here in general. So it definitely could, could backlash. I think more broadly on the immigration issue, uh, there's no doubt there's an array of views about how to handle legal immigration. There's other issues that come up every day around it. Um, but when crimes are committed, I think that's kind of when American people, a majority of them, uh, you know, start to start to get a little bit concerned. Uh, it becomes a safety issue at that point. Um, and we know that federal yeah, immigration is a federal issue. Localities uh, sh shouldn't be coming in and doing the federal government's job. But they also shouldn't be blocking the federal government from doing their job. And that's what I think uh, is going on with a lot of these cities, including Denver here. So uh, as Noel said, I think this is going to be a constant back and forth between cities and the federal government that's going to play out for years to come. Joey, as the political correspondent, you're going to have plenty to report on. Yeah, you're right about that. And that's what this is. This isn't about policy. This is about politics. You know, Denver is not doing anything that they weren't doing before this law passed. You know, they're just sending the, a middle finger to Donald Trump. On Sunday, um, Dave Williams, the state representative from Colorado Springs, he, as if we doubted this was about politics, he sends a letter to Donald Trump saying, oh, you've got to do something about Denver. And Colorado politics, we got a statement from uh, from. Uh, uh, Mayor Hancock on Sunday, and he says, well, Dave Williams is just, you know, doing, doing a publicity stunt. Well, we've got a saying in politics that says, he who smelt it, dealt it. Both sides are playing politics here, and that's what this is, and it's a real shame because there are people in the middle who are afraid, and as these politicians play these games, they need to keep in mind they're scaring the very people that they're, uh, that they purport to be representing people who are afraid about crime and people who are afraid about immigration status. I wish they'd just knock it off. You know, Trump is not going to kick in anybody's door and Michael Ben or Michael Ben Michael Hancock is not going to stand in the doorway to stop him. Nothing has changed. Well Ben I think we have just gotten another first from Joey Bunch in that reference. Does this deal smell? 
It smells terrible. It smells like everyone is saying, like political posturing. It's it's more of that from the mayor's office, which is no surprise. Um, people have already seemed to have forgotten that a few months ago he was kind of on the fence on these issues, and he got smacked pretty hard locally for that, and by a lot of people on the left side of the political spectrum. And here he is trying to make up for that. And so I think really, if you want to give somebody credit for pushing this in the administration, you probably have to look at his chief of staff because I don't think the mayor really has a strong feeling either way. Okay. Well, we'll be talking about this plenty in the year to come. Meanwhile, in a continued bipartisan effort, Governor John Hickenlooper and Ohio Governor John Kasich have submitted the blueprint for stronger health insurance markets to congressional leaders. The plan addresses expanding choice of health plans, stabilizing risk pools, and improving regulatory environments. Michael Fields, if you had a chance to look at this plan, what do you think of it? I did. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at Governor Hickenlooper, um, he usually doesn't get this involved in legislation that's down the hallway in the legislature, let alone uh, with Congress. And, um, you know, I think if you look at the discussions that are going on around health care, um, there are a lot of problems, and this only tackles a little bit of it, right? So 7% of the market is what they're talking about here. And, you know, the, the talk is about this being bipartisan, um, and really it was two governors that were Republicans out of 35. So it's 6%. I think this plan has no chance in Congress. And uh, I'll briefly go over a few of the reasons why I think. Uh, first is the individual mandate. Um, it forces people to continue to buy health insurance, and that's going to be a non-starter in Congress for Republicans. Uh, the second thing is that it keeps a lot of the Obamacare mandates in place that I believe have driven up costs. Um, if, as long as those are in place, people are going to have uh, the same kind of problems that we have now, um, and just dumping a little bit more money into the system isn't going to fix things. I think the third problem uh, is it doesn't address the biggest issue, and that's Medicaid. Uh, Medicaid has doubled. The amount of people on Medicaid have doubled in the state. It's eating up uh, our state budget, and really they just choose, they chose to ignore it. And so until they really get serious about some of those bigger issues, um, I don't really think that, that, that anything's going to get done, and I think it's really this has been more hype uh, over substance. Joey, is this hype or more political posturing? Well, it's just, I don't know if it's hype, but it certainly wasn't original. I, I didn't see anything in this plan that I haven't seen, talk about in, seen talked about in the past few months. In fact, uh, U.S. Representative Mike Kaufman from Aurora serves on a bipartisan caucus that outlined this exact same plan already. So I think it, he, Hickenlooper is going to be testifying in Washington next Thursday, and it'll be interesting to see what what reaction he gets there because, you know, he only got six of all the governors in the United States. He only got six to sign on to this. So he doesn't have the wind at his back going to Washington. And, you know, people don't like to be told what to do, especially when these ideas have been out there. I think Hickenlooper is trying to catch a lucky break here that, that, that Congress will do these things. Then he and Kasich will get credit for them, and then that'll be good for whether he winds up running for national office with Kasich or somebody <clears throat> else. You know, he's already written his book for national office, but Hillary Clinton didn't get elected, so he can't write another book, so I think this is chapter two. But Hickenlooper's been on the national stage for a while now, but we haven't seen him talking about policy on the national stage. And I read a tweet from some guy named Michael Fields the other day that says if, uh, if Hickenlooper had been in, as involved in transportation as he is in this federal issue, then we'd have a transportation plan now, but we don't. Ben, you certainly paid attention to transportation, too. Sure. How about health care? 
You know, I think, as others are saying, this is a trial balloon. And, you know, Kasich obviously has already run for president. Um, we know Hickenlooper's name was bandied about in, in conversation about being a vice presidential nominee or a potential cabinet pick. Um, and that's what this is. As, as the others have stated, this is not a new plan. There's no real original thinking here. It's a, it's a publicity move to try and see if they can move something and take credit for it and float it out there for 2020. Well, we'll be talking about this, too, especially because it does sound like the Kasich-Hickenlooper run was a trial balloon last year, last week that's already been popped, but there'll be a lot more action from They're both of them. Them, yeah. Oh, Noelle, sorry. It's all right. Um, well, no. uh, my little commentary, I guess, is just good luck getting anybody to agree, because I've decided there's like three things Americans all agree on in health insurance. Is one, we all hate our insurance companies. Two, none of us really want to pay for our health care. We want it free. But three, we don't want to pay for anyone else's. And so that just results into gridlock, it seems like to me. Um, so we'll, we'll see. It's just more of the same conversation. And we will continue to have it. Okay, Joey, Denver Public Health released a new study this week analyzing gun-related deaths and injuries. As reported by the Denver Post, the study revealed the highest rates of gun homicides impact black men and women ages 15 to 24, and those occur five times more often than with whites. Meanwhile, whites are more likely to die by suicide by a gun than blacks are. What do you see with these apparent inequities? I've read so many studies, I'm just blind to them at this point. You know, every study that comes out, both sides can spin it one way or the other. I'm surprised the NRA hasn't already had a press conference saying that, that black people should buy more guns because they're more likely to be victims of these crimes. You know. I don't know what moves the dial. If 26 dead people in an elementary school, 20 children in an elementary school in Connecticut doesn't move the dial, I don't think this, this study moves the dial. It only comes down to two questions. Are you for it or are you against it? Nothing else matters. And Ben, what do you think about Denver Health commissioning such a study? I think it's interesting. I mean, it's certainly good for Denver Health to understand uh, the population that they serve. Um, you know, there are sort of private jokes in that hospital about the knife and gun club coming through on Friday and Saturday nights in particular. So they are the only um, level one trauma uh, center in the city of Denver. So I, like I said, I think it's important for them to understand it. I think when you dive into the numbers, there's nothing particularly shocking there. I think it's reflective of broader national trends. I think also sometimes focusing on the use of a firearm, particularly in, uh, for a suicide, is, is not necessarily the best picture of, of what's really going on in the world. So I think it's a very small sliver of information that I trust has some use for Denver Health. Can paint a little bit of a picture for those of us that care about these things in society, but I, I don't think there's anything particularly illuminating about it. Noel, since I almost snubbed you last round, let's expand this a little. You just did that really interesting story about Leon Kelly and the gang deaths in 2015 and what they did to try to have no gang murders at mm -hmm. all in one part of the city. What do you think about that? Because that's certainly the age group we're talking about in this study. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Denver Health study, you know, said that it was it affects. Um, 18 to 24 year olds and then I guess we should say 18 to 34 year olds because they broke it down to both of those age groups and it is the second leading cause of death in both. So 2015 was a really violent year for Denver, a lot of gang homicides. The city's homicide rate hit a nine year high that two years ago. And uh, back in April there was a shooting at 28th and Arapahoe that was gang related. 
sent a lot of chills, like, uh-oh, here we go. This is the kind of thing where we start the, the tipping point for the back and forth. It can go on all summer. Let's get control now. I remember going to a luncheon with the Reverend Kelly back at the beginning of the summer, and you could see that he was really upset and agitated. And he called people together, and they put together a plan, and they decided to concentrate on a small area that was the war center of the war zone in 2015 and said, okay, we're going to prevent gang-related deaths in this, it was uh, Downing Street to Colorado Boulevard, 29th Ave to 40th. And we're going to, like, hold it down here. And so they did stuff all summer, all over in the weekends, wrote books, played games, read, read books, rode bikes, played games, had barbecues, invited parents. Um, those neighborhoods are going through gentrification. They brought in the as the Rev calls it, the new hood and the old hood, had people talking and meeting with each other, and they announced earlier this week that they were successful. That doesn't mean there weren't any homicides. Denver's homicide rate this year is actually on track to even surpass last year, which hit a 10-year high. So it doesn't mean that homicides are under control in this city at all. Gun deaths are not under control. But there was an effective plan in a very small, concentrated area. Yeah, back in 215, there was a shooting right outside here, and there's still a little shrine there. Michael, gangs, guns, wrap it up for us. Yeah, so I think the stat that really hit me with this study was the 15 to 24-year-old uh, range. And part of that is because uh, I'm a former school teacher, and a lot of the kids that I taught are around that age now. And I grew up in Chicago, too, so where gun violence is obviously devastating. Um, I think one good stat out of it was Denver is in the bottom third of big cities when it comes to uh, gun violence. But, you know, as we know, one homicide is too many. And um, Bill Ber Berman, uh, the ED of, of Denver Public Health, said two things that I agree with. One, uh, that we need to do more to educate people about handling firearms the right way. Uh, but the second thing is that they need to do more about addressing mental health issues, and that is a, a big issue that that you know is a lot of uh, it has a lot to relate to these things. Uh, so I hope this study really uh, creates an ongoing discussion uh, about this issue. Another ongoing problem in the in Denver homelessness. The city of Denver and the Denver Rescue Mission are opening two new permanent shelters. Both are located in Northeast Park Hill, and the facilities will serve as overflow locations. One of them will be able to accommodate close to 230 people. The opening dates are still being finalized. It's not snowing yet. Ben, what do you think? Too little, too late from the city? Is it a good move? Well, uh, you know, there's a great song where there's a line that says something's more than nothing. Uh, so we've been getting a lot of nothing uh, other than making being homeless illegal a couple years ago, which was a giant mistake. Uh, so this is a something. It's certainly not enough. You know, even if they were adding 500 beds, it would not be enough. Um, being a resident of, an, of a core neighborhood in the city, I've seen the impact firsthand of, of the homelessness of the camping ban. Uh, you know, there are more, uh, you know, transient people in all the neighborhoods throughout the central part of Denver because they're not downtown because they're getting pushed out. So it's something. Is it enough? Not even close. Are they taking a holistic approach to this? Absolutely not. Are they talking about housing, affordable or otherwise, in a meaningful way? No. So, nice drop in the bucket. And one of the temporary shelters is closing when these two open. Of course. Noelle, you've been your paper's been covering this, obviously. Right. Um, one of the things I noticed in a, one of the stories I read on this was there's actually no net gain of beds for homeless people. Uh, partly because the Salvation Army was overcrowded and ruled unsafe, and they were forced to cut back on who they serve at their shelter. So we really don't have 
a net gain. I mean, one of the things they touted was there's going to be uh, better beds instead of like just mats rolled out and showers, which certainly uh, should make people maybe a little more refreshed and a little lives a little bit more comfortable. But I don't know that this is going to be like a huge game changer to reduce the problem in Denver. And we still have an outstanding class action suit on behalf of the homeless, about whether or not the urban camping ban is illegal. Michael, what do you think about the current status of Denver's homeless, Denver's move for the homeless? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, this was obviously a move to increase quality in a way, as Noelle pointed out. You know, these beds look better. We saw the pictures in the article of this. Um, you know, I think there, there's no doubt that Denver Rescue Mission is doing good work. Um, Catholic Charities just opened up uh, another women's-only facility a little while ago. Um, but, I, I mean, reading about this story, I couldn't help but think about last winter, Denver police officers were taking blankets away from homeless people. And so I guess this is some kind of progress, but that still sticks in my mind. Joey? Well, you know, every politician says they're going to solve homelessness and none of them ever do. You know, this feels like the levees breaching in New Orleans and Denver is handing out buckets. You know, we, we have all these short-term solutions, but we never seem to be able to get to the long-term problem. And Denver has this wonderful way of taking one step forward and two steps back. And that's what we've seen over and over. I say yes and yay to the shelter. This, they're doing God's work. But when are we going to get serious as a city and a state about a about addressing the root causes of homelessness. A lot of people talk about it. Nobody ever does it. Do you have a solution? Ben, have you been thinking of what you would like the city to do instead or in addition to this? You know, I think that when we look at the big picture and you look at all this talk around affordable housing, I think the reality is we need to chop that word affordable off of it and begin to talk about housing more broadly. The the best solution for homelessness is providing housing stability. There's always going to be a segment of the population that needs more than that, that needs mental health support and needs a whole bevy of other things. But there is a significant chunk of the homeless population here and elsewhere that there are just people that are on the edge. They're homeless because they couldn't pay their rent. They couldn't make their mortgage. So providing real uh, housing options that are more than affordable but are maybe free or extremely subsidized is a great way to solve these problems. We have the space to do that infill development in the city. We've got the resources to do it. It's just a matter of making the social decision that we're going to support our fellow man. Well, we're going to go to Disgrace of the Week. And at the risk of stealing someone else's, let me just first say Mother Nature and so sorry for all the people who are suffering now in Texas, and obviously our hearts go out to you, especially in a place that really doesn't have major floods. Noelle, what's your disgrace? It's Texas-related. Uh, WWJD will never stand for what would Joel do uh, when Joel Osteen, the very wealthy Texas televangelist, um, was really slow to open up his big church sanctuary to people who really needed help. And uh, he took a lot of criticism for that and was deserved. And when you see the amazing acts of fearlessness and neighborliness down there, to hear something like that is really bad. Michael. We had a lot of uh, heavy issues this, this week on the show, and so I decided to be a little lighter even with my uh, disgrace of the week. But um, last year, the University of Colorado football players uh, were complete bullies, beating CSU 44-7. to uh, the two teams play again tonight, the Rocky Mountain Showdown, and so I'm hoping uh, the Buffs take it easy on the Rams this year. Joey? 
The vast majority of Colorado is a disgrace to me. Most of the people sitting around this table are disgraces to me. The state fair is going on. It goes on through Monday. I was there for opening night, and the crowd was very, very thin. And this is an institution that has been with us since four years before Colorado became a state. Now, I know Pueblo's a long way. I know there's a lot of good stuff on TV. But, folks, let's get down and support the state fair. It's important to our, our, our now and it's important to our future. You're doing a disservice to yourself and you're doing a disservice to future generations by not getting down to the state fair. You've got three days left, folks. Don't be disgraceful. Well, and is that all we need to do to not be disgraceful in your eyes, Joey? That's it. Okay. You're all wonderful besides that. <sighs> okay, see if you can live up to that, Ben. Tough sledding. I feel bad. He was being so nice before the show started. <laughs> um, I was going to, once again, lambaste the mayoral administration and pick your topic, whether it's having another sort of hoax of a solution for homelessness, whether it's their unbelievable du duplicitousness around the I-70 and the Platte to, Platte to Park Hill uh, ditch. Uh, they continue to just be unbelievably underwhelming. Another one, they, it takes weeks, if not months, to get through the, the city planning department. The mayor comes out and says it's a political audit. No, sir. It's a slow process. All right, now let's go nice. We knew you, that wasn't going to be the city for you. Noelle. Yeah, I'm going to um, say something nice about my husband, Jay, who has responsibility for his soon-to-be 95-year-old grandmother who lives in southwest Georgia, and he had to put her in a nursing home, move her into a nursing home this past weekend and fly to Georgia at the last, you know, on short notice and pack up and move, and it was very hard, and he's handled all of this with such grace and compassion. It's great to see. That is great. Michael. I'm going to stick with Houston on this one. Uh, a guy they call Mattress Mac uh, opened up his furniture store as a shelter. Uh, it cost him something like $30,000 a day to do it. Uh, but he said he did it because he wanted the people in his community to see that there was light at the end of the tunnel. So I think he's just one example of, of the many Americans that uh, have stepped up to help, whether that's athletes raising money, whether that's uh, different organizations. And so it's really, I, I'm proud to, to see Americans do that for other Americans, uh, especially in this time of polarization. Absolutely. Joey. Uh, the runner-up disgrace of the week this week is me, Joey Bunch, <laughs> because last Friday night I was in the governor's beep show, which is we, where they put people, legislators, weather people, political reporters with 4-H students. And I worked with Lexi Hill. She's a um, student at, at Paonia Middle School in Mesa County, and she tried to teach me how to show a steer, and I was just terrible, and I lost it for us. And she was wonderful. You know, she was the champion at the uh, Mesa County Fair this year, but even then I couldn't pull it together. She tried to show me how to scratch a cow's belly with a stick, and I couldn't even do that. So, Lexi, you are a wonderful instructor. You just had a terrible student. Ben, good luck following that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Michael here and, and just say uh, how nice it's been to see how Americans of all, of all stripes, of all regional uh, background coming together to support people in Houston. Um, it's an incredibly divisive time, and we've been living in divisive times, and it's, it's, it's great and comforting to know that we as a society still have that within us to go out and not worry about who or what or, or any of that, and just to help people. So good for us. It is. And I want to say something nice about the people of Denver. 
40 years ago today, we printed the first edition of Westward, mm -hmm. and people in Denver continue to be curious about their city and enthusiastic about their city, and there are always great stories to write about. So thank you for reading, and definitely thank you all for watching. That's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. As always, log on to Facebook or Twitter for CIO segments past and present. You can also find our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Patricia Calhoun, and thanks for watching. Thank you.